Father, thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. But not just any God. A God who loves us, who's pursued us, who's been thinking about us through eternity past. A God who knit us in the womb. A God who has plans for our life today, tomorrow, and forever. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning, that you'd touch our hearts, you'd give us just what we need to hear to draw closer to you and to invite other people into this incredible family, knowing Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This past Sunday, we went for a walk. We live on Main Street and we were out walking by the railroad tracks and as we were walking along, suddenly something happened. We looked at our girls and and something was a little bit different. I don't know if if you've ever seen a a child do this before, but what is the the circumstances? What do you think is going on in this picture? Dust? Any other guesses? Sunshine? (laughs) A train, maybe? (laughs) Well, I'll give you a little... uh, glimmer of what's happening here, something really, really scary. Just listen for it. Oh, no, he went up on the road. Okay, we're good. Dirt bike. Maybe he wanted to ride around because it was more safer for him. Probably. Because he didn't want to scare me. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been terrified? Have you ever been filled with fear? My sweet little girls don't like loud noises. They don't like dogs either. And there's a few different things that, and one of their ways to protect themselves is just to close their eyes. If they can't see what's going on, it's got to be better, right? Everything's got to be okay. You know, another lady by the name of Gladys Allward, she was dealing with a more horrific fear. She was growing up during World War I. And during World War I, the bombers would come over. She lived in Europe. And as they would come, she would line up the children. She figured out a way to handle the fear that she had. She was a little bit older, and she would line up children in in the house. And as she lined them up, she would go over to the organ. And she would begin to play on the organ in their house. And she would sing at the top of her lungs. And she said, if I could just drown out the noise of those bombers, these little kids won't be afraid. Something began to stir in the heart of Gladys as she became a woman who was able to combat fear in her life. What do you do with fear? Are we living in times where there's a lot of fear? What are some things that people are afraid of today? People's faces, all right? So so some people are afraid of people's faces, maybe, and other people are afraid of masks, right? Some people are afraid of a virus, and other people are afraid of a vaccine, and some people are afraid of... The list could go on and on and on. There's a lot of things that people are terrified of today. What do we do? How do we handle fear? Well, let's go to the Bible, and let's consider a story. If you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's been praying that prayer, Father... If it's possible, take this cup from me. Father, if there's any other way, please, to save people, do whatever it takes. And and that night, just before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Peter has boldly told him, Master, I will never 
deny you. There is no way you can count on me. I would go to death for you. And sure enough, when that mob comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and those soldiers come and and that, that rabble, rough crowd is there and there's Judas coming to betray Jesus, Peter immediately springs into action and he swings his sword and he chops off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus reaches down and he touches that ear and he heals him. And he, he gets Peter to stop the madness. He pushes Peter back from, from continuing to fight. And in, in Mark chapter 14, it, it goes on to say how Jesus responds in this moment, what Jesus says. Verse 48, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out against me as a, against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. There's, there are scriptures that have to be fulfilled. The prophets have talked about this. This has to happen. And the verse continues to say this. After Jesus heals the ear. Verse 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. The disciples who were so brave saying, yes, we'll go to the death for you. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll swing a sword. When he said, the scriptures have to be fulfilled, what's happening? They're running. They're terrified. They're running away in the moment when Jesus needed the most. Were the disciples filled with fear? No. Do you think they were running because they were brave? We can be interactive here. Were the disciples filled with fear right now? They're terrified. Every single one of the disciples fled from Jesus. They're terrified of what is happening to Jesus. They're running for their lives. They all forsook him and fled. Now, I want you to fast forward to Acts chapter 5. And in Acts chapter 5, we pick up a different story. Here you find the disciples are called in for trial before the high priest and, and before the Sanhedrin. And as they go in... They're really upset with them, trying to get them to stop preaching about Jesus. And they're so upset that they want to kill them and they are about to kill them, but Gamaliel steps in and so they don't end up killing them. So what do they do instead? They beat them mercilessly. And after having beaten them, we find this in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. It says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What just happened? Within two months, they've gone from a group who's running from Jesus in the middle of the night because they're terrified, to now they're a group who is rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer shame for his name. Does this sound like a terrified bunch? Sounds like a brave bunch, doesn't it? It sounds like a a bunch. In fact, it goes on to say that then every single day they were going around preaching Jesus. The the Pharisees and the, the priests had told them to stop talking about Jesus. And every single day they were in the temple continuing to tell people about Jesus. They were moving forward with boldness, with no fear. What was the change? What took place between Acts chapter 5 and Mark 14? Well, there's a number of things. Jesus went to the cross. And then after that, on Sunday, the disciples were cowering in the upper room. The Gospels tell us they were afraid for fear of the Jews in the upper room. And then Jesus showed up and he said, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Then he said, 
before, uh, with, uh, 40 days later, just before going up to heaven, he said, I'm about to ascend to my father, to your father, but wait until you receive the promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to make you witnesses throughout the world. They weren't yet ready to have boldness. They still had a need for something more. And so they spent that time in the upper room. They spent time in the upper room for 10 days praying and seeking God. And at the end of the 10 days, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And would you say that they were filled with fear on that day? No. They went out boldly to share about Jesus. They went out and 3,000 were baptized. They went out to tell the very murderers of Jesus, hey, you guys are the ones that murdered Jesus. And by the way, you could join us. You could be baptized, repent, and become one of his followers today. There's mercy for you too. They went out with boldness, with no fear. What was the change that took place the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But what does that look like? This morning in early church, we were talking about that, and somebody said, so what? Do we just need to wait until tongues of fire come down, and then we'll be more bold to share with people about Jesus? Then we won't have the fear to approach our neighbor, our coworker. Last week, we were really blessed by the message that Pastor Dan shared with us. He shared about the happiest family in the world. And if you missed it, you can catch it on our YouTube channel. But as he shared this, he, he challenged us to live like the disciples in Acts chapter 2. And he challenged us to boldness in sharing our faith. So what does it take? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are we looking for the Holy Spirit to do in our lives? Well, I want to look at one particular aspect. And, and we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 to look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. But first... Here's a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a what? A spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's giving us a spirit and the spirit doesn't fill us with what? Fear, but it fills us with love and with a sound mind and with power. But let's look at Romans chapter 8 verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so he says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage to be in fear. You're not a slave. You're not afraid of God. But instead, what have you received? The spirit of adoption. You've, you've been adopted into the family. The Holy Spirit came so that you could realize something that, that you're included in the family. And, and now you can say this intimate word, Abba, Daddy, Father. You, you can pray to your Father in heaven. You can come to recognize him as this infinitely caring, loving, heavenly Father who cares about every detail of your life. You've received the Spirit of adoption. You're included in the family. The Holy Spirit is poured out and reveals to them that there's a Father in heaven who has accepted them. In fact, if you look carefully at what's taking place, Dan refer- Pastor Dan referenced it last week, but what was taking place in heaven was the acceptance of Jesus back into heaven. And it, This was poured out on all of humanity. The Holy Spirit was given as a recognition that that the human family is accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. So what does this adoption look like? Ephesians, uh, before we get to Ephesians chapter 1, let's talk a little bit about my family. This week, life's changing, right? So the world is going to change, but I realized that it began changing a while ago. You know, over the last nine months, a lot of things have begun to change around the house, but 
It was a couple weeks ago when my father-in-law and mother-in-law showed up at the house. And when they came, they, they began to do some things upstairs. And they said, okay, we've got to get to this list. And I said, what list? What are you talking about? They said, oh, Leah gave us a list. It's a long list of things that need to be accomplished. You see that Leah knows that her dad is the best possible one to get things done around the house. So she gets the list, and I am so grateful for him and all the help that he gives to us. It's incredible. But, but this, this list involved lots of different things. I mean, there was everything from getting the cradle moved into that room to getting uh, the chair moved into that room to getting that, that dresser put together and, and all the time that took into to putting that dresser and hanging the mirror in the right spot and putting actually a different carpet than the one that you see there. And, and maybe some different things in the room, but over the, the next week or so, some of those things changed as Leah went to a store and she found something that she thought would be just right for baby brother. A little picture of a lion, a little picture of a lamb. We want him to have a, a, a character like Jesus. And she said, these pictures are, are perfect, and that changed which carpet was going to go there. And, and all of this is, is coming to fruition, and, and we haven't met the boy yet. We don't know him. I mean, do you think he's, he's really deserving of a room like that? I don't know what he's like yet. But we're preparing to receive a, a child into our family. And that's the picture that God gives. He said, I'm going all out. I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm preparing to receive children into my family. I want to adopt you. Come into my family. Ephesians chapter 1 describes it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Because of Christ, all the blessings that come through the Holy Spirit are poured out on us. But notice what it says. Just as he chose us in him before the what? Before the foundation of the world. That means he chose you. You who are sitting here in Templeton today, he chose you before he even created this planet, before the planet even thought of rebelling, before anything happened, he chose you. What did he choose you for? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The good news is he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose you from eternity past. He's been thinking about you. And this takes away fear in your life. To know that God's on your side, that he's got your back, that he's there for you. You know, sometimes uh, when my girls are there in the backyard and they hear a loud noise like the train going by, they immediately run and they look up to daddy and they say, Daddy, hold me. There's something about knowing that the most powerful being in the universe, he's on your side, he's chosen you, he's got a plan for you, and he wants you in the family. He wants to adopt you. He's chosen you to be holy and blameless before him in love. Notice, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the what? Who's the beloved? The one that has been in that loving relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit throughout eternity. Jesus, fully divine and yet fully human, has been exalted to heaven. A human being is there. He is in, adopted in the family, and you are accepted in Him. You're in the family. Welcome to the family. And that takes away fear when you recognize what we have in Jesus. 
You know, in our fridge, I told you last week about all the pictures we have of special people, and thank you to those of you that sent us Christmas cards because we love you. But I want to tell you that there's a little picture on there that's a little bit more important than you. That's this little picture. And I don't know what color eyes he's going to have. I don't know what color his hair is going to be. I don't know if he's going to be melancholy or sanguine or choleric. I don't know what his personality is going to be. I don't know what he's going to be like, but I love him already. And I want him to be in my family. How is it possible that God could choose you before this world was founded? He chose you because he was going to knit you in the womb. Psalm 139 says that his thoughts towards you outnumber the sand of the seashore. He's been thinking about you from eternity past. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit planning and thinking about your life and how they would show up for you. (laughs) What incredible love we have. Now notice, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing talks about how Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout his ministry, introduced something new to the Jewish nation. Page 74 says this, Jesus pointed his hearers to the ruler of the universe under the name, the new name, our Father. He would have them understand how tenderly the heart of God yearned over them. How sad. They, they had the Old Testament scriptures. They had scripture after scripture talking about this Father in heaven who loved them so much. And yet to them, this was like an entirely new idea that he had a tender care and regard for them. He teaches that God cares for every lost soul. That, notice this is from the Old Testament, Psalm 103.13. Like as a father pities his children or has compassion. The word is like womb-like compassion. Has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. He's got a tender regard for you. And what you're going through in your life today. Such a conception of God was not given to the world by any religion but that of the Bible. Never was it given by any other religion except for the religion of the Bible. Do you believe that to be true? Every other religion teaches us that we've got to do something to get to God. But the Bible tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. And that is what will change us when we are accepted into the family. Heathenism teaches men to look upon the supreme being as an object of fear rather than of love. A malign deity to be appeased by sacrifices rather than a father pouring upon his children the gift of his love. That we've got to do something, we've got to bring something to God in order for him to finally appreciate us, to finally want us in the family. No, that's not how it works. He has chosen you from eternity past to be in the family, and this alone will transform your life to be what you need to be in the image of God. Even the people of Israel had become so blinded to the precious teaching of the prophets concerning God that this revelation of his paternal love, fatherly love, was an original subject, a new gift to the world. It was like something brand new to them. They hadn't recognized this before. It was like a fresh revelation to them. And you know, They just didn't get it. They did understand that that God was a father to them. In fact, we know that from John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 40 and 41. Jesus is talking to the Jews who are coming and seeking to, to kill him because he's been healing people on the Sabbath. Notice what he says. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. You are doing the works your father did. And they've been talking about Abraham. 
But now notice what the Jews immediately say. Oh, we don't have it there. Let's, let's go to John chapter 8. I think I skipped that verse in my Bible. John chapter, John chapter 8, and we'll go to verse 42. John chapter 8. It's important that we see what the Jews' response was because we recognize how they felt about God, at least what they thought about, about him. So, John chapter 8, we were in verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, the end of verse 41, we are not born of fornication. We have one father. Does anybody have it there? Who is our father? God. So we have one father. He's God. Did they recognize that God was their father? They thought that they did. They thought that they had this realization that that God is our father. They even told Jesus, no, 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 you've got it wrong. Our father, we've only got one father, and he is God. (laughs) But notice what Jesus says to them. You are of your father, the devil. Who did they think their father was? God. Who did Jesus say their father actually was? The devil. And the desires of your father you want to do because you're trying to kill me. A man who told you the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning, he goes on to say, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You are simply following the character of Satan himself. This is, this is really heavy to think about. Here you have the Jews thinking that they, they have a father in heaven that they're worshiping. And God comes down and he says, no, actually, you're worshiping Satan. That's your father. And I can tell by the way that you are treating me. You're coming and you're trying to kill the one who's telling you the truth. Notice what Mount of Blessings goes on to say. The Jews held that God loved those who served him. According to their view, those who fulfilled the requirements of the rabbis and that all the rest of the world lay under his frown and curse. That's the type of father that they thought their father in heaven was, that he was exclusive, that he was holding back from other people, that he loved them because of what they did. (laughs) That's not God's system. That's Satan's system. Not so, said Jesus. The whole world, the evil and the good, lies in the sunshine of his love. God is not capricious. He's not selfish. He is constantly lavishing his love on both the evil and the good. He's pouring out his Holy Spirit and doing everything possible to reach everyone possible. Then it goes on to conclude with this. This truth you should have learned from nature itself. For God, quoting from Matthew chapter 5, makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You don't know who your father really is. You think that you're worshiping the true father, but the character that you've assigned to him is actually the character of Satan himself. And this is exactly what Satan has always wanted, to exalt himself into the place of God. And that's exactly what we're told will happen just before Jesus comes back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, this, this moment when Jesus comes back, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Don't be troubled about this idea of the second coming. Why? Because you need to look for this. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day... 
talking about the second coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first. If somebody falls away, where have they been before? What was that? Next to him. This is an idea of people falling away from fellowship with God. This is an idea of those who are following God who are no longer following God. They've fallen away. They were followers of Christ, but they're no longer followers of Christ. At least they aren't in practice. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. All right, so this, this is the general way in which we tend to see this picture of the end. We tend to see these evil, diabolical powers who come in and they're opposing everything uh, about Christianity and, and they're saying everything bad about Christianity. But notice how the verse ends. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he, what? Is God. You see, what we need to worry about is what is our picture of the God that we claim to worship? We can come and we can sing hymns. We can talk about him. We can pray to him. But is he the true God? Because this is talking about Christians. This is talking about those who claim to come and worship him, that they will actually be worshiping Satan, just like the Jews actually had a father who was Satan himself, rather than worshiping the true God. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so how does this take away my fear? You're just contributing to my fear right now. Who am I worshiping? I'm a little terrified. We can know who we're worshiping when we get to know a loving Father in heaven. A.W. Tozer says it this way in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, the Attributes of God, Their Meaning in the Christian Life. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God... What comes to your mind? What do, what do you picture? What is he like? This is the most important thing about us. It goes on to say, For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Because he's not saying that that what we do is not important, but what we believe God is like will lead us to the actions that we have in our lives. The Jews were trying to kill Jesus because they thought that he was a God who went after those who didn't believe the way that, that he did. They thought that that's the way God was. But God wasn't like that. He was pouring out the rain on both the evil and the good, the sunshine on everybody. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. By beholding, we're transformed. And that's really, really good news if we have a loving picture of our Father in heaven because we are going to be transformed to that image. But it's really bad if we have a picture of a wrathful, vengeful God who's out to get us, who requires that we measure up in order for his arms to be open to us. Because then, when people don't treat us exactly the way that we think that they should, they don't quite measure up, we will not be able to extend grace to them because we don't think that we're extended grace by God. And we're critical of other people because we think that that's the way God is dealing with us. It's the reality of Scripture. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea 
of God. Knowing who God is, what his character is like, is absolutely everything. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We need a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because we need a greater recognition of how much God loves us, how much he cares about us, and the details of our life. This, is, this was Jesus' passion. Just look up the word Father in the Gospels and look at how many times he's saying, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. My Father has gone to prepare a place for you so that I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you can be also. You believe in God? You believe in the Father? Believe also in me. Recognize that he's the same person I am. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't you know that my Father takes care of the, the flowers, the sparrows? How much more will he take care of you? Trust your Father. Pray to him as our Father. It's by the Spirit that we are able to finally recognize this. We need a revival that comes through receiving the Holy Spirit that will enable us to cry out, Daddy, Father, that we'll have that love for God that that we desperately need in our hearts. So Gladys... She had a, a dream to become a missionary, and she decided to go to China as a missionary. But there was a problem. She wasn't well-educated, and she couldn't learn Chinese fast enough for the mission organization. And so she went off to be a maid, and day by day, she would try to save up her coins. In fact, one day, she said, this isn't going to work, and she set her Bible on her bed. She set her coins on the bed, and she said, God, this is all I've got. I've got this Bible. I've got this change, but take me. Take all of me. <laughs> And she worked out a a situation with the train station. She said, I I have got to get to China. I want to be a missionary. And she began to make payments on a ticket. And she made payments on a ticket not to do the way that they said, this is the cheapest safe route you can take, to take a ship to China. But she began to say, I'm saving up for the cheapest thing I can do. I'm going to get on a train and I'm going to go across Russia the Siberian, I'm going to go through Siberia, and then I'll get to China. They said, there's a war going on there. That's dangerous. She said, I've got to go help these people who don't know the loving character of God. And so one day she put all of her life savings into that ticket. She had two suitcases with her. That was all that she had. And she got on those trains. And sure enough, the war caused problems for her. And a lady came to her saying, you're about to get shipped off into some camps in Russia Let me help you out. She helped her out at the last minute, was able to get her on a ship, finally got her to Japan, and she made it to China. Now in China, she began to work with a lady on getting people to get to know Jesus at the end of, it was about the eight eight, uh, laws of happiness. The movie was six happiness, but there's actually eight. She didn't like the movie, just a side note. (laughs) It's a good, (laughs) there's probably good in it, but she didn't like it too well. Anyway, uh, it was the end of eighth happiness, or the eight laws of happiness. uh, And she would get people to come into the inn, and she would share with them stories about Jesus. And then she got a job going around, and, and Chinese women at that time would bind their little children's feet so that they wouldn't grow too big. And she got a job as an inspector going around and getting people to realize that's against the law now in China, and we don't do that anymore. And they began to to look with favor on her. Well, one day, there was some riots in the prison. And they called Gladys to come to the prison. And as she got to the prison, she saw this massive rioting that that all the guards were afraid to go and and to be able to help out in the prison. And, And the warden wouldn't go in there. 
And then he said to Gladys, go into the yard and stop the rioting. This little lady, she was, I said, about five foot, 110 pounds. Go into the yard and stop the rioting. She said, how can I do that? Notice his response. You have been preaching that those who trust in Christ have nothing to fear. (laughs) She knew she had to do it. This little five foot lady went out into the yard and she said, okay, I, quiet. <laughs> For some reason, they listened. She got two representatives and she said, come talk to me. Send your spokesman. They came and they talked to her and she found out that they were not getting fed. They were not getting the things that they needed. And she went back to the warden and she became a, she worked the whole situation out for them. This little tiny woman who had no fear because she knew that you could trust in who God is. That's what God is longing for you and I to know. The truth that the God who went to the cross did it because he loves you more than his own existence. So what else is there to fear? There is no fear in love. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same. Jesus came and he took on human flesh. Why? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Who is that? That is the devil. He wanted to destroy him who had the power of death. Now notice what he did through the power of death. What the devil does through the power of death. And release those who through what? Through fear of death. Through through the desire for self-preservation. Who wanted to do whatever it takes to protect me and mine and ours. Who was so focused on themselves. Through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Through the cross, Jesus revealed that's not who God is. God is not self-serving. He's not selfish. He's not out to watch out for his own. And as we see this picture of selfless love, fear is cast out of our hearts and no longer do we have to guard self. We're not worried about our reputation anymore. That's in God's hand. We're not worried about our finances anymore. That's in God's hand. We're not worried about our housing. That's in God's hand. He will take care of us because he's our loving father in heaven. And we can count on that. Because he went to the cross. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I want desperately for my girls to know that they don't have to be afraid that they have been adopted, not just into the Page family, not just accepted into our family, but they have become sons and daughters of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. we should be called the sons of God. We should be called the daughters of God. We can't spend enough time putting these promises into our minds, singing songs about the Scriptures, getting to know this Father whose love is so big that He wants to adopt us into the family. I want them to know that. But I don't just want them to know that for themselves. You know, on our little picture of baby brother now, there's these paper uh, chain link there. 
And every single day we're teaching our girls to go over and, and they cut off one more. In fact, if you count them there, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They hadn't yet cut the one off for today. Any guess what will happen when they get to that last one? Baby brother will be here. We want to teach our children to accept into the family, to invite into the family, to, to be welcoming into the family baby brother. They're learning to hold babies. They're learning to prepare for a baby. They're learning to be excited about the fact that baby brother's coming. And I'll tell you that Gladys Allward, she saw what people in China were going through. She one day was walking down the street and there, there was a lady who was begging. And then she saw trailing behind the lady was a little girl. And this little girl was in rags. She had sores. She looked sick. She, she looked like she hadn't been fed enough. And she realized that this, this probably wasn't that lady's daughter. That in reality, she just had her there so that she could get more money as she was begging. So she went over and she asked if she could buy that child. And for nine pence, she bought that little girl and took her home to live with her. And she named her Nine Pence in Ch- Chinese. Little nine pence lived with Gladys. Gladys provided her a loving home. She'd adopted her into the family. But you know, one day, little nine pence came in the front door. It's about a year after living with Gladys. You know, she had recognized the home that Gladys had provided. She recognized that this was a loving parent, that this, this family was there to love and care for her. And as she was out on the street, she'd seen a little boy who was an orphan, who was alone. And so as she walked into the house, here comes a little boy trailing her. She says, can he live here too? I'll eat less if he can stay. I'll eat less if he can stay. Of course, Gladys accepted the little boy, and his name in Chinese was Less. Nine pence and less. You see, we are adopted into the family not just so that we can watch out for us. We're adopted into the family so that we can tell the world that you've got to come to the family. You've got to come to Jesus. We're, we're adopted so that we can make the invitation for as many as possible to come in. And if necessary, that we're willing to eat less so that others can be here. That it's not about us and feeding ourselves, but it's about inviting the world to come to Jesus. And that orphanage grew quickly. Soon there was three. Then there was a lot more. And eventually she had about 200. And someday I'll tell you the story about how she took those 200. First she sent 100 off with an assistant. He took them because there was the Japanese was coming, coming into that part of, of China and they were raiding the country and they had to get out. There was a major war going on and Gladys was in danger because she was informing the Chinese. But the first 100 went and then... Gladys was left with the last hundred. And she planned to never leave, but she realized that she had to get these little kids. Some of them were four years old. Some of them were ten years old. She had to get them out. And she went on a hundred-mile journey with a hundred children. She was wounded by a bullet herself, and she got through with those hundred children. That's the type of love that the God wants us to realize is in the heart of the Father. That we are adopted into a family where God will do absolutely anything to save anyone who's willing to accept his love. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I want to invite people into the family. How about you? I want to give them invitation after invitation to come to get to know Jesus. And I want to let you know about just a couple of things. One in your bulletin this week, you received this flyer, the revelation of whom, and we've got more of them out there in the lobby. This is designed to introduce people to Jesus, which is what the book of Revelation is all about. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just designed really to introduce people, I should say. It's designed for all of us to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. We're going to keep talking about this, but here's one, one way that you can invite people to come to get to know Jesus, to come recognize who God really is. Because maybe some people claim that they're worshiping the same God that you are, but maybe they don't know who he is in character. Maybe they need to come recognize this. And here's one option for you. Another one, April 21 to 23, there's a lot of people that are wondering about things that are going on with, with uh, spirits and ghosts and other things like that. This is called the Serpentine Prophecy with Sean Boonstra. It's going to be half a video series, and then the other half will be doing a live presentation Bible study here, April 21 to 23. And we've got cards out there in the lobby that you can get off the table, and you can invite people. Say, hey, check it out on the website. It has the location for this, but April 21 to 23. We're also going to have, there's some back there, but there'll be more glow tracks that give an introduction and then they invite people to go to the website to come check it out. These are just a, a couple small ways that you can easily share with somebody and say, hey, come on in. There's room in the happiest family in the world. Come on in. Be a part of the family. I'll eat less if that's what it takes so that you can be a part of the family. We've got invitation cards out there for church itself. There's glow tracks like Pastor Dan talked about last week. There's Bible studies. We've got tons of Bible studies and we're going to try, like he said, to actually have them in the lobby for you so that you can grab those easily and share them with people. Whatever it takes to introduce people to the loving character of God because there is no fear in love and perfect love casts out all fear. Let's invite you to bow your heads with me. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Abba, Daddy. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Lord, I pray for anybody this morning who needs to see that a little more clearly, myself included. Father, would you expand our conceptions? Would you lead us to see your promises? Would you help us to know your love? And Father, I pray did you impress each of us how we could not keep this love to ourselves? Father, right now in the silence of our own hearts, maybe you'll impress us with somebody that we can share with, somebody that we can reach out to, somebody that we can bless, somebody that we can, can be there for. Father, please help us to be so excited about how good this family is that we'll run out and grab everybody possible to bring them in to the Father who loves them, who cares about them, who will do everything possible to work for their eternal happiness. Thank you that we get to invite people to this amazing relationship with you. Thank you that it truly is good news. Father, bless my friends. May the gospel sink deep into their own hearts and may they share it widely. In the name of Jesus, I pray.
Amen.